Liverpool Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. We have a very special guest on this episode. Mark Melkoff is the host of the Carson Podcast. He's a comedian, a filmmaker, and to tell you a little bit about the Carson Podcast, it's a very interesting concept. He talks with guests about the legendary talk show host, Johnny Carson, people who worked on the show, frequent guests of The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, comics who got their big break with Carson, and top people in the popular culture who were influenced by Johnny Carson. Sometimes people will ask me what podcast I listen to, or podcasts I listen to, and I inevitably mention the Carson Podcast. If you haven't listened to it, it is outstanding. I think you could be someone who not ne- wouldn't necessarily like Johnny Carson, and you would find this show very interesting. I find it very interesting, and I also think it's interesting that we are hosting a talk show right now about another talk show that is in part about another talk show. <laughs> so on that note, welcome, Mark Malkoff. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for asking me to be on. My pleasure. So how did you get the idea for the Carson podcast? It was pure curiosity because, you know, I was really young when I started watching The Tonight Show on Fridays, maybe like once a month. On, I'd be like five or six years old. And I was just really intrigued about entertainment, but especially Carson. And even as a teenager, I would try to, to read everything I could about The Tonight Show and about Carson. And there was so little information out there. I mean, for for somebody that was considered as Steve Martin said, more famous than the president, Johnny Carson. There, were, there wasn't a lot out there. His friends were very, very tight-lipped. The people that worked for the show were very tight-lipped. And it really wasn't until Peter Jones did his documentary for PBS American Masters about Johnny Carson that some of my questions were answered, but I had so many more. And I sat down with Peter Jones in Los Angeles at his office, and I told I told him, and I didn't know him, and um, I, 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 we met, and I said, I have this idea for a Johnny Carson podcast. And he said, Mark, you need to do this. Tell everybody I endorse you. And that was it. I mean, I told Peter, I just wanted his documentary to go on forever. And he said, Mark, you know, you can only really hold people with a documentary for uh, two hours. And it was just one of those things. It was a curiosity. What actually did go on behind the scenes at The Tonight Show? Who were the people that put it together? Who were the people that knew Johnny? And who, who really was Carson? What is fascinating to you or the most fascinating about Carson? I would say his longevity and the fact that nobody in 30 years gave him any serious competition. I mean, who can do that? I mean, there were three networks. People did try to go against him, but he was so likable and so just played to middle America, played to cities that nobody touched him. I I just think that they're like how... How does, does that happen? I mean, Lord Michaels with Saturday Night Live and Carson are the only two institutions I can think of. Maybe 60 Minutes. No real serious competition in decades, but it's, it's ultra rare. If you had to compare Carson to anybody, is there anybody who comes close? You know, it's, it's interesting because like Dave Letterman influenced so many comedians in terms of what his sensibility and humor. And I don't think Johnny 
it really influenced anybody really with his humor, but he gave comedians, uh, he made, gave them careers, and he definitely was somebody that I think set the model for everyone, including Letterman, about what who what a talk show host should be and how they should carry themselves and conduct themselves. I, in, in terms of a pure talk show host, I, yeah, I don't think anybody really does come close. I mean, he the, the likability factor with Carson is just, it's incredible to, to witness. I mean, he could sit down with an A-list movie star, a, a kid. He could sit down with, with, with the, the, the zoologist, with the animals, and then sit down with these, these people that were known as civilians to the show, people that had never been out of their hometowns, and just make them all feel at ease and comfortable. And America, they were emotionally attached to that to this man for, for 30 years. Having looked at Carson the way that you have, how do you think, or why do you think he had that incredible ability to sit down and communicate with someone who was either a big star or somebody from some little town in this, you know, who knows where? I think, first of all, that he, he was from Nebraska, and he really did still have that 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 the polite, uh, curious didn't really seem like a like a, like he fit necessarily in Hollywood. But he there was a curiosity about him. Letterman the same way, where they really really uh, you know have were interested in their guest and asking questions. And Carson would book a lot of people that were not show business people, people like Paul Ehrlich to talk about population control or you you know just at the time very rev, revolutionary people, controversial people, like the head of the atheist organization at the time and Jim Garrison with the Ken- with the Kennedy um, assassination. So he, he, he definitely would book people that he was curious uh, about. I mean, he knew that The Tonight Show, and he, and he made no qualms about it, was an entertainment show. He never took a political side because he thought that people that were going to bed, they just wanted to be entertained. He kept his politics to himself, and he knew that the majority of the show had to be entertainment, but he would definitely get those things in, usually in the last uh, few minutes, because the show was at 90 minutes until 1980, with the, with, with people that were, were, he was interested in that the audience might not be into. Do you think that the late-night talk show hosts of today, do you think they get it wrong when it comes to politics? I think that every host is doing what they have to do to get ratings and survive, and it's it's a very different landscape. I mean, when Carson was there, he did have competition. It wasn't a lot. There are so many shows that are ubiquitous, and I think they're almost niche-type shows where people are not trying to play as broad. I mean, the only person that I think does try to play a little bit more broad that doesn't take really political sides, but he's taken more of it lately is Jimmy Fallon, who I, I mean, listen, he, he, he's in Johnny's old studio in New York. He purposely doesn't do a warm up before the show to say hi to the audience. Cause Johnny didn't do it. Johnny never took a political side. Fallon. I mean, I, I see, you know, Johnny would sing sometimes Fallon does it the characters. Fallon does character. So I, to me, and I could be off because I don't know Jimmy Fallon. I've met him once or twice. It seems like that, that he he's probably trying to do of any sh- uh, a, a show that's a little bit more broad, he, the likable, uh, the likable thing. And uh, I definitely think when he started, especially there were definitely some similarities in terms of of what the, of the type of show they were doing. I mean, even his where his desk is in Studio Six B is exactly you know the setup where Johnny is and the curtain and stuff. So I definitely see some influence with, with, with him. And I think out of the host, I think he's the, probably the most broad 
plane person like Carson was. Okay, so on that note, of the current late night talk show hosts, who do you have the most respect for, or who do you enjoy the most? Okay, I I, I have friends at all, all the different shows. Um, <laughs> I, I, I I had a day job with Stephen Colbert. I was there for three years and eight months at the Colbert Report. Really, really good guy, nice man. Uh, yeah, I mean he's smart, kind. So, I, I mean, I root for, I definitely root for all my friends at the different shows. I, when I'm in Los Angeles, sometimes I'll stop by Jimmy Kimmel and uh, say hi to people. I think Kimmel is probably the closest to what Letterman was doing, and I really, uh, I do, I, I enjoy him a, a lot. Um, I, you know, I don't know, James Corden, in terms of the likability out of all the hosts, I think is one of the most likable guys, and he has something going for him uh, that some of the others, I think it's just about playing uh, to people playing to their strengths. I mean, I, I've been over to Fallon a couple times. I have friends over there, and yeah, you know, it's just you look at the audience's faces at Fallon, and they just they same emotional attachment, just like pure love for him. And like he, it, tr- Fallon transcends demographics too. It's really interesting that I, I, he he plays younger, but the o- older people love him too. So yeah, what do you think of Conan? I have been going to Conan. I mean, I've been following Conan since he started. I mean, I, I he started in September of 93, and I was there in the audience in October. And I used to go all the time to see Conan. They couldn't even fill the audience a lot of the time the first year because he was so unpopular, and it was not a big audience. I, I really enjoy Conan. I, You know, it's one of those things, I think, when he left The Tonight Show, I just don't think he had enough time. They gave him enough time. I mean, nine months or whatever he was on, seven months or nine months is not long enough for anybody to find their voice at 1130. I mean, Letterman did it because he had 11 years, 11 and a half years at NBC to, to uh, and Conan did do have some time, but they definitely, he, Conan needed to make some changes, and uh, Leno certainly didn't succeed. Um, he was, he, uh, right away, I mean, he was getting, Letterman was, was pounding on him for almost two years. Uh, I think, like, Colbert certainly took at least a year to figure out his footing. Um, definitely Jimmy Kimmel took a bunch of years. And I just think, like, nine or seven months, whatever he did, was not enough to figure out The Tonight Show. And I think if he would have had more time, there was a, there's a decent chance he, he would have. I really admire Conan. I mean, he, he definitely, if you look at that first show in September of 93, the, the format was there. Robert Smigel, Conan... They, they had a very clear vision of what they wanted to do, and I, and I, and I, I admire that they stuck with it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be strange that the show's going to a half hour, but, I mean, things are always changing. I mean, Johnny went from 90 minutes to 60 minutes. I mean, things, things are always changing. But he, Conan's a, definitely a huge talent, and I know that he had a few encounters with, with, with Carson. I know Carson called Conan to congratulate him when it was announced he was going to eventually be named uh, host of The Tonight Show. Working our way back over to the Carson Podcast, which anybody listening, they can visit CarsonPodcast.com. Tons of content. Great content. Of the guests that you have had, could you say that there was somebody who was the most surprising to you? I think sitting down with Peter LaSalle, um, who was Johnny's producer, and he was the producer for Arthur Godfrey. Johnny Carson, Dave Letterman, Tom Snyder, Craig Ferguson. I, you know, um, Peter is just doesn't do many interviews, and he's he's he can be a bit shy. And Peter just for whatever reason just was has been so nice and open with me. I mean, we've stayed. I mean, we're friends. I mean, we talk on the phone when I'm in L.A. I'll stop by and see him. We've been out to lunch. 
he he's been so nice to me for whatever reason. And he he was just somebody that I wasn't sure how open he would be because you know he was Johnny's producer for all those years, and he he was friends with Johnny in retirement. He always said Johnny was the became a different person in retirement with the pressure being off. And uh, yeah, Peter's just been so nice to me. I, I definitely he was somebody that I that surprised me when I sat down. I was surprised he said yes. I mean he and he did two episodes with me, and he he was definitely somebody. That the listeners, uh, when I get feedback, that he was somebody that that meant a lot to me and it meant a lot to the listeners. Who would you say was the most cordial or the the nicest guest? Oh my goodness, so many of them are nice because, like, I, I mean, some of them will like I'll show up and they're like, let's have lunch first or dinner, and people will will give me gifts when I leave. Sometimes, I mean, other people won't even offer me water. I don't, I'm, I don't expect anything. But I mean, there's there's so many people that have been really nice with with that or like, I don't know, just keeping in touch with me. I mean, anybody that sits down with me, I really appreciate it. But like 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 Wolfgang Puck, when I sat down with him, we had a lunch later that day with some friends and Wolfgang sat, Puck sat with us for like an hour and kept giving us some like free stuff, uh, free some free appetizers and dessert, which was really nice. He I, I enjoyed him. I um. People with their hospitality, Elliot Gould was wonderful, Florence Henderson. I, I, I'd have to look through the 200 people that I've interviewed. Yeah, I mean, so many people have just been... Shecky Green, when I got to his place in Vegas, him and his wife had dinner for me, which I didn't expect. So it is one of those things I just kind of show up. And uh, yeah, sometimes people uh, go go over the top. Paul Anko, when I interviewed him at his home, at, when I was leaving, he, afterwards he gave me like a book, his book, his CDs, and all like like just all this stuff. He just handed it to me, and it was that was really nice of him. Wow! With the number of comics that you've interviewed, this one might be hard too. Who was the funniest guest? Who made you laugh the most? Oh my gosh! I mean, Shecky Green was full up performing for me, so he was really funny. I think Mel Brooks is always somebody that, if somebody's a comedy fan, is somebody that's just hilarious. Carl Reiner, really. I'd have to look through, but the thing is, is like when I'm talking to a lot of these comedians, like a Stephen Wright, they're so emotional talking about Johnny. It was such a pivotal time, like a Bob Saget, that they're not necessarily trying to be funny. It's more like just talking like. People looking back at like a high school or college that they, that they that was really special to them and them talking about it. But I don't think Mel Brooks or Carl Reiner can help but be funny. But they, they really made me laugh. Now, this is what I've been very curious. And I've been wondering this for some time since I started listening to the podcast, the Carson podcast. Every talk show host, whether they're a television, a radio show, a podcast, everybody has either a mental list or they have an actual written list somewhere of who they have always wanted to interview. So who would be the dream guests for the Carson podcast? I think the people that have not been on that I would really like to have on are Bette Midler, Doc Severinsen, Dave Letterman would be great, Steve Lawrence, and just a lot, a bunch of people that were Carson staffers in the early days that are not necessarily, they're not famous, but they knew Johnny very well. Steve Lawrence was one of them, and just to sit down with people that knew Carson, like Bob Newhart is on the list too, because he and uh, Johnny were, were friends, and yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have that, 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 that list of people harry belafonte i really want at some point so yeah i mean it's just my, my list it's so funny because like people will be like are you running out of people and i still have at least a few hundred people on my <laughs> list i mean it's 
it's just incredible. Yeah, who's on the list? Uh, it, just in terms of like people I wasn't even aware of that did the Tonight Show until I started uh, researching and doing this project. But uh, there's there's so many more people. But those are just a few. Ellen DeGeneres, I think, would be an amazing person to sit down with. Um, those are yeah, those are a couple. Have you met Doc Severinsen? We've talked on the phone. I've never met Doc. I we've talked on the phone a few times. And uh, it is a possibility that um, an episode might happen sometime soon. He's been really nice to me on the phone. I mean, we've talked on the phone off and on for literally four years. And I just haven't. Yeah, it, it hasn't. It hasn't. Uh, we haven't done an episode that's been released yet. But uh, hopefully uh, that will change sometime soon. I would really like that. I mean, he they they him and Johnny would go on vacation together. They were really friends because Ed McMahon and Johnny early on were friends and they kind of grew apart. But Doc and uh, Johnny were were definitely were definitely close. Doc got to know Johnny when they would go on tour because you know Doc at that time Skitch was Henderson Henderson was leading the band and Doc had left for a, bu- a few years and he would he would go on tour with Johnny and it'd be like Phyllis McGuire sometimes and Bud and CC Robinson and that's how Johnny really got to know Doc and vice versa and then when Skitch was leaving Johnny mentioned we you want we'd like to try you out. And uh, in the band, leading the band, and that's how it all happened. That has to happen. Doc I hope. Yeah, <laughs> we shall see. He's ninety-one. He still tours. It's a, it's a, it's an incredible thing. So, if you ever get David Letterman to be on the Carson podcast, what would you ask Dave? You know, they were friends. I mean, I think I would ask just about how he prepared for his Letterman debut because I, I was told. And I would need confirmation that Jack Rollins kept his manager, kept Dave off Carson for like a solid year. And I would ask him about why he didn't, if he thought he was ready. And I would ask him about, I was told, and if you look at the tape, Letterman's debut, that he he goes instantly after his stand-up. He doesn't even look at Johnny. He goes right over to panel. And to me, it looks like to me that he, and I was told this also, that he got automatic panel. And I can't think of anybody else. Maybe there's one other person that got to do stand-up on Johnny is an unknown and get automatic panel panel. That was everybody's dream to get over and sit on the couch. But that was, I guess Rollins was so powerful back then. I mean that I would talk to him about how, how that was arranged. And I, I would definitely, I mean, they played 10, they played tennis together at least once. I mean, I know Letterman and, and Carson got together in New York a couple, like a, I think a year and a half before Johnny passed and they were on his, his Carson's yacht. I would add, talk, maybe talk to him about that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and just the whole, just the whole, all the rules that Letterman had imposed on him about what he couldn't do if that actually came from Johnny or Dave Tebbett or if he has any knowledge uh, on that and just how, how he became to be guest hosting The Tonight Show as an unknown six months after or wherever after he started with, after his debut. I mean, that was really, really quick. I mean, so I would, I would definitely have that. I would talk to Letterman about how Johnny started to do some Letterman-esque bits and it was really hard to kind of watch in Dave's thoughts on it because people on the Letterman camp, I mean, they've all confirmed. I mean, they all knew that that Johnny was doing this for like a year, maybe maybe less than a year, probably a few months trying to do Dave-esque bits and Dave's reaction to it because they, 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 they very rarely worked and it was a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I'd love to sit down with Dave. I know he doesn't talk to many people and, you know, if that, if it works out, that would be great. If not, it's all good. What is the technique that you use? Because you've had some incredible gods. You've had some absolutely fantastic guests. So how do you go about booking the guests? 
Oh, that's a great question. If you name a guest, I'm happy to tell you how I got them. I mean, (laughs) it's everybody's different, you know? I mean, I I try to either do emails or send letters, but I mean, or, you know, if somebody knows somebody, but like, this is what I have found, and it was a complete accident. People want to talk about Johnny Carson. I can't tell you how many people told me the only reason I'm talking to you is because it's about Johnny. I I didn't know. I mean, I thought, if anything, it was the opposite, that that, uh, people would be guarded or... I just didn't know. I mean, if you if 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 the public the public would listen to Joan Rivers for all that time saying about how what a terrible person he is, and I would hear it over and over again. And Wayne Newton, there's only a handful of people, but then like I just heard it so often that I just when I started this, I wasn't sure how people would respond. But like the 200 people I've talked to, I I mean everybody I've talked to had positive stuff to say. I haven't had one person, you know. I mean, he definitely was was shy. He definitely. Uh, had a drinking issues, especially early on in New York. He was open about that in the 60 Minutes interview. But I mean, the, the people I've talked to at the show, they loved him. I mean, they re- for the most part, they really, really, really did. And that was definitely to, to, talk, to talk to so many people that knew him at the show and outside, like people like David Steinberg that said, you know, he was the same guy that if he, if he was comfortable with you, he was the same guy as he was on The Tonight Show. More than one person have, have said that. And uh, it was definitely eye-opening to sit down with these people and and hear their stories. You said if I named somebody, you could tell oh, sure. me. Sure, sure, uh, I'm happy to. Okay, let's just pick one out of the out of the box here. How about Howie Mandel? Howie Mandel, I just emailed his publicist. That was it. That was it. <laughs> and yeah, he, I knew he was a huge Carson fan, and that was it. And it took a bunch of years. Because every time I was in L.A., Howie, I think, was he in New York where I am now and vice versa. And it took a bunch of years. And Howie Mandel told me he listened beforehand. He's like, I listened to your podcast. And I was like, dude, I've been trying to get you on. He didn't like he was just like, no, you haven't. I showed him the email from like four years ago. And he's like, oh, my goodness. I was like, yes, I wanted you on the podcast. So that was one person I'm happy. If you want to mention another person, I'm happy to tell you how I got them on. I mean, sometimes it's publicists. Sometimes it's letters. Sometimes it's emails, finding people's assistance and just... I mean, I get a lot of no's, I want to yeah. say. I get a lot of no's. I mean, it's just, it's part of the game, just like in terms of life, I think. Okay, so I'll give you one more. How sure. about Pat Sajak? Again, his publicist was, it was it was like, I think I'm through IMDB Pro, which I have used sometimes, sometimes I don't. But they, they listed his publicist and his publicist, who's really nice, I think worked out at, at Wheel of Fortune back in the day at NBC Burbank. So he was, he, I think he was like just a huge fan of Carson and he knew Pat Sajak was and that Sajak would sit down with Fred DeCordova and Peter LaSalle and have lunch sometimes and play play games. I forget what, if it was a card game or something. So it was just one of those things where I just emailed the publicist and that was it. But, uh, you know, if I can get directly to the guest, if there's a method to get directly like an email or like uh, putting a letter in the mail or something, I'll do that as well. It's just, uh, you know, just try to be politely persistent and make people feel respected and just put my request out there. But Pat Sajak was great. I mean, I, I was running, I hate being late. Like I would rather be Frank Sinatra and be like five minutes early. And I, I still haven't figured out Los Angeles traffic. And we, <laughs> Christine, who was with me, we showed up to Pat Sajak's, I think it was like his, Maybe it was somebody's publicist office or somebody's office, and we sh- we we showed up, and uh, we were like, I was like, 
Albert Brooks and Broadcast News were like sweating from like running, being late, running down the street. And he's like, just take a few minutes. Like, why don't you take a few minutes? And he walked me over to the closet and there were all these like snacks, like candy bars. And he's he like loaded me up with all these snacks and just and he gave me like I asked probably for like I don't even remember how long I asked, but he gave me like like an hour and a half of his time. Like, I mean, so nice to do that. I mean, there are certain people that have been so generous. Elliot Gould was like that. I'd have to look at my list, but people, Anita Gillette was like that. There's a, a lot, there's a bunch of people, people like that. That's just been so nice. You were mentioning you get a lot of no's and that's what people don't see when it comes to a talk show. It's true. Would you maybe tell us about a no that you've gotten that, that in particular you thought, man, that would have been awesome. <laughs> oh, I mean, there's so many. I want, I want to point out that Johnny Carson, they try to get Cary Grant. They would try to – Danny Cage at the show once in the 60s early on, but they try to get him. They, they would get no's all the time from Robert Redford, Meryl Streep, De Niro. My no's, there's so many of them. I'm just trying to think like – I mean, Seinfeld, Martin Short, Barbara Streisand. I haven't been able to get Steve Lawrence, Bob Newhart. I haven't been able to get Ellen DeGeneres yet. Elaine Boozler. I haven't just Elaine Boozler was really nice. She just told me I don't I don't want to I don't want to hear what she has to say, but I do just because she she did the show once and they wouldn't have her back and I think it was a bad experience or something. But I would love to sit down with her. Uh, I, I'd have to look at my full list, but it's like everyone from like Drew Barrymore to um, yeah Harry Belafonte to Oprah Winfrey. I mean, there's so many people that did the show. Uh, like Oprah, I think did the show like three or four times. I think four times. So. My whole philosophy is the power of asking. You just never know. Yeah. So. Well, you're coming up on a very monumental number. 200 yes. episodes. Uh, can you believe it? Yeah. I mean, I can't, but <laughs> congratulations. Thank you. Do you have any plans for that 200th episode? Or can you tell us? I do, but I don't know for sure if it's happening. So I can't. I can't really say. I definitely have something I want to do, but I don't know if it's happening. But um, and if it doesn't, I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> um, but it is coming up, and uh, after I actually I get over um, done with this, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna uh, just kind of see what 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 is happening because I w I am getting you know 200 is a huge deal. I mean I I thought maybe 10 or 15 people would talk to me. I had no idea that this <laughs> would happen. I mean it was like. It was crazy to get emails back from people like their assistants and be like, I can't believe I get to sit down with Tom Brokaw. Like, I can't believe I'm going to sit down with Florence Henderson. Stuff like that. Like, I was just like, I don't know. It did like Barry Diller, a billionaire. I'm like, really? I get to sit down with him. It was it's definitely people that I just it, again, it never occurred to me. It never occurred to me that I, I would be doing a lot of these podcasts in people's living spaces as well. Sometimes I go to offices, but people invite me in. It's It's been really, really nice, and people have just been very kind. What are the conditions that you think make for a great conversation? Is there a setup that you like? Do, do you like it at a certain place? Do you like a certain lighting? What are your preferences there? Oh, that's a great answer. Well, I, I just want a place where the guest feels comfortable and safe. And 
normally a lot of the guests would like to talk for a few minutes. I just recorded with a guest who wanted to talk for like 15 or 20 minutes. And I just want people to feel feel good. And, and uh, I do have notes in front of me, but at the same time, I'm looking at them and trying and doing having an organic conversation and, and trying to be in the moment and do follow ups. And then, I, you know, when I go to my uh, my notes, I'll go to my notes. But I, I really just try to listen. And I, I think the guest can tell just from my facial expression that I am. I'm listening. I'm curious. And I think that that just get, makes people just want to uh, feel comfortable. I've had a lot of people just tell me they felt comfortable. And I definitely think that environment in terms of because uh, I, <laughs> I only normally have I have one mic normally. I mean, occasionally we'll be in a studio or occasionally it'll be different. But it's usually one mic. So the guest is usually pretty close to me. And I think I, 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 that has worked for me, you know, that we're like usually pretty close uh, in an environment that they're comfortable with, and they've gotten to know me a little bit, just a tad beforehand. And I also tell them, I said, you know, if you sneeze, if you, if there's, if I sneeze, if there's anything, we can, we can cut that out. This is not live. Some people have asked if it's live. I said it's not live. We're just having an organic conversation. I tell them, like Johnny Carson, my goal is to make them look good. And if there's anything that they don't want to talk about that I mentioned, we don't have to. So I just try to make them feel comfortable and we go from there. Sometimes they'll ask me how long it will last. I said, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) It's an organic conversation. But I said, whenever you, if you'd like to stop or if you have to be somewhere, that's totally fine. But I I just say, we're just going to have a conversation. Very good. Cool. All the listeners out there, they can visit your other website and that's markmelkoff.com. And they're going to learn some very interesting things about you. <laughs> I have positive things, I hope, yes. Positive I, things, I, yes. Yeah, I've done some, I do video projects. I just actually have one coming out next week, and I just did an, another one. So I, I do larger than life videos. I have one coming out next week about um, a nonprofit that takes surplus medical supplies and they ship them to places like Africa and the, the Caribbean. They asked me to, to vol- set a, try to set a record for the con- most hours volunteering straight consist- consistently, consistently. So I did, um, consecutively rather, I did 48 hours without sleep volunteering in, in Yonkers in this giant warehouse. And that's, that video will be out next, next week. And there's a lot of things like this. They're very interesting. I'm just going to tell the listeners about a few of the things. One of them uh, was a web series, Mark Lives in Ikea. That's true. And I did live in Ikea and it took me, it's the same as Carson. It took me, I had to get permission. I had to get them to say yes, like I get guests to say yes. So it took me two months of polite persistence and then Ikea allowed me to move in and Somebody at Ikea, one of the people told me it was that they got more publicity in the United States off of my thing than the history of the company. I mean, it, it was worldwide news. Within, th- within what was it, like three um, hours, the Reuters and the Associated Press were there. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I mean, I just wanted the video content. I just thought it would be f- good video content, but it turned into this giant thing. And they know I'm family friendly. Like, I just told them, I'm like, I'm not out to do anything else other than have a good time and do friend, family friendly content. And I thought it would be a win-win and it turns out that it was. So yeah, Mark lives in Ikea was, uh, was definitely, uh, that was an experience. Another one, Mark on AirTran. You stayed on AirTran airplane, an AirTran airplane for an entire month. And that yes. resulted with you being in the Guinness world records. See, I didn't know that I would get a Guinness World Record. I think it was 135 or 136 flights in a month. And I wanted to get over my fear of flying. It was a genuine thing. And I, I thought that I would have to probably stay on a commercial airplane 
for a long period of time and and not get off to force myself to fly over and over again. And I partnered with what was then AirTran, which got bought by Southwest. And yeah, I mean, Christine, my wife, flew with me on the weekends to see me. It was, uh, I mean, I couldn't shower for an entire month. I had to clean myself with baby wipes. And people would get on and off the plane. I would sleep on the plane uh, on the tarmac in Atlanta most nights, except one night. And uh, yeah, that, that was definitely psychologically one of the harder things I've, I've done. And my personal favorite, I like this one. You disproved the idea that New Yorkers are rude. You had 155 people physically carry you 9.4 miles in Manhattan. It was the coldest day of the year. It was December. It was 11 degrees. And the whole thing was I was tired of people that had never been to New York saying New Yorkers are rude. I would talk to these people that had never that were here for the first time that were just they they, they would just I would hear them say like they were so shocked that like New Yorkers were helping them with directions and other things. And they were they were much nicer than they thought. So I wanted to do a video that people could see around the world that New Yorkers are nice. And I, yeah, I started at the southernmost end of Manhattan. I wanted to see how far north I could transport myself only by having people carry me. And uh, yeah, 19 hours, 9.4 miles, 11 degree weather. And uh, yeah, that culminated with me going on Anderson Cooper and they carried me on set, which was <laughs> unexpected. That was that was an experience. That's rich. I like that. Yeah. So why? What, what is it about these interesting, different, quirky, I don't know what you would say, life experiences that makes you feel like you want to live out these these interesting ideas or dreams pure curiosity it's like can i get over my fear of flying how am i going to do it like i was thinking that a child's big wheel could beat a new york city bus so i did we did a one mile race on 42nd street and i beat a new york city bus on 42nd street it was a one mile race and i won by three minutes on a child's big wheel it's one of those things like would it be possible to go to every single Starbucks store in Manhattan in less than 24 hours, make a purchase and consume something? And I just get the, I just get curious. And I just, a lot of times I think about it and then I, I'll just, uh, I'll explore it. So, I mean, that's, that's it. Can I pull it off? And uh, there is definitely something with the Carson thing. I mean, the Carson thing is, I want to compare it, but in terms of my curiosity, I was, even from when I was a little kid, I'm like, who is holding the curtain open for Johnny? And, <laughs> it, and it wasn't until Jeff Sotzik, Johnny's nephew, I got together with him, who is the president of Carson Entertainment Group, who's a wonderful person, who told me that that was Irving Davis. And then before I know it, I'm in Irving Davis's home in his living room talking about for 20 years him being the guy that held open the curtain for Johnny and all the guests and uh, that's what I want to know like what went on backstage like what actually went in into putting the show together the guests what was it like backstage what was Johnny doing before and after the show and it's it's just been pure curiosity curiosity in many ways rules your life yeah I would say that I would say <laughs> that that's definitely like curiosity in a positive constructive way is definitely something like I always wanted to go to Mr. Rogers from the time I was a little kid. And I always, and there was something about, it. I wanted to be on set and watch how they put that together. And uh, they filmed it in Pittsburgh. It was a close set. And I did, I, I was 24, I think, or 20, something like that in 2000. I forget how old I was, but I talked my way in right before it was four days before they announced his retirement. My, my gut instinct said, I need to make this happen. I didn't know he was retiring. 
And I was able to call Pittsburgh and talk to the Mr. Rogers people and let me come to the set. And it was fascinating watching Mr. Rogers in all black doing the puppets, the neighborhood of make-believe. And it was one of those things like I just need to see it and be polite, very polite, but just be a little persistent, not too pushy, and try to make things happen and just I, I just get answers. And uh, it's definitely I've been really fortunate to do some cool stuff. If you could meet anybody, not just have them on the Carson podcast, but if you could meet anybody that you haven't met yet, who would it be? I mean, people that like entertainment that are living or non-living. Like, I mean, I'd love to sit down with Johnny, obviously, but somebody that's living. Oh my gosh. Somebody, somebody that's living. I would have to think about it. I mean, there's just so many people. I, gosh, I mean, the entertainers, politicians, I mean, uh, it's hard to say, do you have somebody off the top of your head? This is such a good question that you asked. I know it's going to hit me at 4am or something. I'm going to like wake up from, from, from sleeping, but I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. That's somebody that like stands out that I would like. I mean, I don't know, like an entertainment out of the living people. I think Steve Martin, I've met him actually once, but we never really, we talked very briefly, but just to have like a, a really long conversation over lunch or something like would be, I think he'd be somebody that would be interesting in terms of we're sticking with entertainment. I'd have to say, since you asked me. Yeah, I want to know. He's an enigma. I'm hoping to see him in concert tomorrow. Bob Dylan. Oh my gosh. Okay. So like Bob Dylan, that is such a better answer. Cause like <laughs> the last on camera interview I know he did was Ed Bradley 60 minutes and Bob Dylan only did it because he was contractually obligated with Simon and Schuster with his book. And yeah, he is one of those guys I am fascinated with cause he does, he does the music, he does the painting, he does the boxing and it's like an unmarked gym. And he also does like that, 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 like, what is it? It's like metal, metal sculpting. And it's like you either see him on stage. I've seen him twice. You either see him on stage or you don't see him at all. Like, he's always in Malibu and you just never see photos of him in public. I think he is one of the most fascinating people. I, I think Dylan, Bob Dylan's a great, great answer. There was a journalist not long ago, kind of going along with what you were saying about Dylan being somebody who, you know, is this mysterious figure. They went to interview him for a print magazine and they did the interview and they had their tape recorder or whatever and their notebook. And then they got up and left the, left the hotel room. And then they went back because they forgot something. Like, I don't remember what it was, their phone or I don't know. And Dylan was gone. <laughs> Oh my goodness, <laughs> he was gone? Yeah, and it was like, hey, how did he get out of the room? How did he get out so fast? Uh, Susan, I think it was Susan Lacey, American Masters, they did the, she did the, they did the Johnny Carson special for PBS American Masters. She, it took her, I think it took her at least 10 years to convince Bob Dylan to do American Masters, which he eventually did, but I mean, he, he is somebody, he's like one of the last people, him and Jack Nicholson, that are just very... They, they stay away from doing interviews and there's this mystique about them. Like Nicholson never went on a late night show that I'm aware of. I mean, everybody else has done them. I mean, back in the 80s, you never had De Niro, Meryl Streep or Pacino do those things, but they all have to do them today. I mean, there's very, very little mystery. And Carson just did not make himself accessible the last 20 years of The Tonight Show or so and definitely in retirement. So there was that mystery about Carson, which I think people find very intriguing, just the same way that Bob Dylan is, is intriguing. I mean, his boxing gym, I mean, like what, like, I know Gary Shanlin and him were pals. Like, I, I definitely have a lot of questions about Bob Dylan. Absolutely. And Jack, going along with what you were saying, Jack Nicholson, 
as well. Absolutely fascinating guy. Yeah, he would give the NF60 Minutes was trying to get him for decades, and he would always tell the young actors and actresses, if you can, don't do much press. So there's a, some mystery. So there's like, you know, the public doesn't know who you are, and there's more of a, a you know, a, a mystery and a more of an intrigue. Hmm. That's interesting. Do you think that that's true? Do you think that by avoiding doing press, it can help kind of to build a legend about a person? Most people aren't, do not, can't have a career like that in 2018 and still survive. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio does very little. I don't, I don't think he does much late night stuff. I mean, he did Letterman back in the day, but he's very private. But I mean, I just think like everybody almost like it's like your Twitter do the late night shows. I mean, I definitely think times have changed. I definitely think like back in the like in the 80s, Redford not going on Carson and not doing those shows. That's that was what they tried. They made those movie stars larger than life, and I think it worked. Back then, Cary Grant would never do Carson. It definitely worked back then, but I, there's very few people. Like James Gandolfini never – there was definitely mystery with him. Like he did he did Inside the Actor's Studio once, and he did, he did a top 10 list. I mean, Letterman was trying to get him for years, and he wouldn't sit down with him. And there was definitely this mystique about who this guy was. And uh, I definitely think that, it's, that in today's world, it's, it's extremely, extremely rare. Okay, this might be kind of a 180, but what segment from Carson, from a comic standpoint, did you think was just absolutely one of the funniest moments? I mean, there's so many. I mean, I always liked it just when, like, people were laughing, like, just in terms of, like, uncontrollable laughter. Like, I always liked when Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise, stuff like that, when they'd just be joking around and, like, stuff like stuff that's unplanned, which doesn't happen on the current late night shows very much. Like, I don't know, the egg stuff with Dom DeLuise was really funny and Burt Reynolds, the shaving cream. Like, I, I definitely think, like, the Don Rickles cigarette box, like, I can watch that at least, like, you know, once a month and laugh hard and it doesn't stop. Like, Sis Boom Ba, just watching Ed and Johnny laugh like little kids, like, with Karnak is, like, stuff like that just really, really makes me laugh. Like, Charles Grodin and Johnny were, always made me laugh. Like, I, that was, like, one of my favorite things. And, like, Charles Grodin told me people at home, a lot of people thought it was real. Like, I mean, he thought they, they thought it was real when he would go on Letterman and insult Letterman. Like, I mean, Grodin was basically doing a Stephen Colbert before Stephen Colbert going on in character. He was under a contract, like Joan Rivers, to exclusively do The Tonight Show. That's how much Johnny thought of him, how highly. Yeah, I mean, some of the Grodin stuff when Johnny, because the guests just would not, unless they were Rickles, the guests would not poke fun at Johnny. And that's all Grodin did. And it was like professional wrestling that, that that a lot of people thought it was real. And I just, I thought it was, I got such a kick out of it. I got such a kick out of, out of those moments. Speaking about guests that were on Carson that I thought were, were great guests, I would have to say Frank Sinatra. Yeah, he didn't do the show a lot. I don't know if he did the show at all in the 80s, but he might have done the show once. But yeah, he was definitely somebody that Johnny really, you know, was in awe of. There weren't a lot of people like Audrey Hepburn. When she did the show, Johnny cut the segment short because he was just having, I mean, he is just such an awe of her. And Frank Sinatra was one of those people that Johnny was just in awe of, especially earlier in his career when he got to New York for Who Do You Trust? Sinatra was was again one of those those larger than life personality icons that Johnny would in the New York days especially would like the music that would be on in his office would be Sinatra he'd be singing Sinatra yeah Sinatra was was really really fun when he would go on the Tonight Show which didn't happen a lot but when he did it was a huge thing. What does Johnny Carson mean to you? 
oh my gosh, you're turning the tables on me. Um, what does Johnny Carson mean to me? It's so funny because people have asked me, but it's always like, who was he and what did he mean to you? What does he mean to me? Oh my goodness. I, I, to me, he's just, he was personally, he was, he was a guy that made, made me laugh and just created this show that just personified class and glamour and in old school show business in uh, just like an era that just doesn't exist. Yeah, he means mystery, which is why I started the podcast. I had so many questions like who this guy was and his process for putting the show together. And yeah, I mean, I think it was Al Jean from The Simpsons. He was a, he was a writer for Carson and he was like trying to, you know, fit like what is Johnny Carson's rosebud? Uh, you know, it's one of those those things, lots of mysteries. But um, in terms of what he means to me, he just best talk show host ever, period. And just a guy that had the ability to keep America entertained and uh, stayed number one for 30 years, which is, I, I mean, I don't think that could ever happen again like that. I mean, it was it was like people would come at him and just nobody would, nobody, America wouldn't accept them. It didn't matter who it was. And uh, yet today there's just, they hand the shows out. They don't hand shows out, but there are, I mean, it's just, it's so many. I think Johnny prided himself on his timing and he knew right when he got out, I mean, there were so many shows coming out. It was good to exit right then and there. He, he definitely had good timing. What's the question that you wish people would ask you when you're talking about yourself or the Carson podcast? What did I leave out? I don't think anything. I thought you did an amazing job. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to think of stuff that like people really don't ask me. I mean, I think well, you hit all the things. I mean, I, yeah, I can't think of anything off the top of my, off the top of my head, really. I mean, that, that's a, gr- it is a gr- great question, but um, no, I think you, like, you did your, your preparation. What is the best thing about being Mark Melkoff? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I have the, the most amazing wife. Christine and I luckily have family that loves me and that I've been fortunate enough to be able to do some things that when I was a kid, if you told me that I would be able to do, I probably wouldn't believe them. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I've gotten, I've been really fortunate to do some, some, some cool stuff. It is, it's, it's that thing where it's just like, I can't, like, is this really happening? Like, it's just, like Letterman used to say, it's like like when he went on Carson, it was like you're looking at a like Lincoln on the five dollar bill, and then you look over and it's Lincoln. It is. It, some of those moments have happened, and it's definitely. I I promise I do not take any of it for granted. Like at the listeners, the people that email me, the people that 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 um send me notes and stuff. Like I I just feel blessed that I can do this, and I really did not think when I started this that this would become a a, a thing, and that thousands of people all over the country in entertainment, out of entertainment would, would be waiting for the, the new episode every week to hit. And it's, it's def- definitely been a journey and it's been a blast. So how did Christine and you meet? Oh my gosh, <laughs> Christine and I met after one of my comedy shows and we had some mutual friends and we would just see each other around every so often. Being a five foot seven man, I just didn't think somebody that was six foot one might not necessarily... I don't know, be attracted to somebody shorter, but sometimes love transcends. And uh, yeah, we just see each other around and then we were friends and just started dating. And And she's been great. I mean, she has been with me on some of the, the, the episodes. She was, I mean, she was with me when we went to see Mel Brooks in Culver City at his office. And that we, we only, we had less than 24 hours confirmation on that. I mean, it was like six at night and Mel Brooks doesn't like to make decisions until the last minute. And that was only because Carl Reiner told Mel Brooks, because they have dinner together, you should do the kids podcast. And, you know, Christine has been with me when we had like 
at 90 minutes notice to go see Regis Philbin and Christine will just be like, I'm like, like freaking out because I like to do all my research and we just, you know, I, I have to wing it sometimes and she'll be with me and she, she's just really, really good at getting me when like sometimes when it's a little bit flustered uh, to get me kind of grounded and calm and she's, uh, she's very, very good at what she does. Hmm. So I always like to, at the end of my interviews, give the guest the stage. So this wouldn't just be limited to the Carson podcast. You really, you can just take the microphone here. What would you say to anybody who happened to be tuning in? Oh, gosh, I, I w- would say follow your curiosity, follow your passion. I, I would say um, the power of asking is, uh, is something that I highly, highly encourage. The power of asking for stuff that you might think is ridiculous because people say yes. I say be persistent, go past one or two no's if it's a constructive, positive thing and people will change their mind. I also would be honored if people check out markmalkoff.com. I also teach Sunday school and I have faith, so that's important to me as well. That's a huge part of my life. And I've been in New York since I was since college and I can't believe that I, I never, I don't really know if I ever thought I'd be able to live here and work in entertainment and you just never know. And following my curiosity has served me well. Anyone out there, they can visit carsonpodcast.com markmalkoff.com and I'll spell Markoff for you. It's M-A-L-K-O-F-F. Mr. Malkoff, thank you so much for spending time with us. Oh my gosh, you're so good at what you do. I'm honored to be on, on your show and yeah, thank you just for listening and I, your preparation, like like me. I mean, I just, I really, sometimes I'll do these things and people won't even, they'll barely know anything and they're reading off my Wikipedia. So, Paul, I, this was so much fun and I wish you continued success. And same to you. I feel like you're a kindred spirit in some ways. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, we'll see with the 200th episode. Hopefully it's a good surprise and I'm going to work on that right now, actually. So we shall see. All right. Well, happy trails. Thank you, sir. All right. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. If you enjoy these interviews, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. You can help us by listening on the free Radio Public app. The show can also be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or Overcast. For more information, visit thepaulleslie.com or follow on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, all at The Paul Leslie. The Paul Leslie Hour theme song is performed and composed by Jeff Pike. Outro music is performed and composed by John Goodwin. See you next time on The Paul Leslie Hour. <laughs>